0: LinkedIn News.
1: From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jessie Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Before the pandemic, I went to work every day in an office. Then, like so many of you, I started working from home with no warning. It was a mess. All the time between then and now has become this elongated blur. The 15 months during which our office literally was not open. The time, gosh, was it a month or a year where some people came back in, but there were no real rules. Like it was still okay to wear the same LinkedIn hoodie sweatshirt because you probably wouldn't see anyone in the office anyways. And then the shakeout as those rules began to emerge, both stated and unstated. Like, when did all the women in my office start wearing heels again? I thought that heels were over. Welcome to the hybrid office of 2024. The special scenarios and one-time exceptions are supposedly over. The expectations have mostly been outlined in company-wide emails. You should know by now when to have your cameras on for Zoom, You should know what days to show up, when you're supposed to be in person. Today, we're going to get granular about how to make a healthy hybrid culture work.
2: Stay tuned. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash Promises Pay Off. My guest
1: today is Jennifer Dulski. She runs a company called Rising Team that equips managers to run team development sessions. Jen cares a lot about how we get the most from ourselves and each other in virtual settings, and she's got expertise to apply here. Jen has been building products at companies like Yahoo, Google, and Facebook for more than two decades. She led the team at Facebook that launched Facebook groups, and she understands something deeply about the way community works. Jen teaches this at Stanford's Business School. Today, she shares the ways in which we build community at work, and she starts by breaking down community into its smallest part, shared values. Here's Jen.
0: When I was thinking about culture and how do you define it, it has so much overlap to community. And what you want is for a team, a company to feel like a community that people, as you point out, can feel a sense of belonging, can feel valued and so forth. And, you know, I spent a couple of years running the groups team at Facebook and all the work we did was about. Measuring and understanding what does it mean to build meaningful community, which is essentially what we're trying to do at companies when we build culture. And there were three things that came up that I think are really relevant also to companies. The first is values. So strong communities have shared values, and those values are articulated clearly up front before you ever become a part of it. And so that's true for communities. You know, they have their guidelines and their rules, and some of them say you have to accept it before you join. For companies, I believe one of the most important things for small companies is to articulate your values up front, and then you hire against them. You know, sometimes the word culture can be tricky because people use it as a a way to kind of hire people just like me, which can be bad for companies, actually. You want to get that diversity. Values don't do that. You can have all kinds of different people, backgrounds, experiences, etc., who still live by the same values. So an example of a value like we have at Rising Team, our number one value is we are all one team. And that means... I'm not going to say that's not my job. I don't need to do that. It doesn't. It means I don't need to take the credit for something. I'm just going to help you because at the end of the day, we're all one team. And that's a, an example of a, a value we look for that helps build the culture of the company.
1: Values as sort of a like at the beginning of the life of a company, setting values is a, a lofty ambition and really smart thing to do. For many people, especially a lot of our listeners, maybe you're somewhere in the middle of a big company. Um, Maybe that company has articulated values, but more likely it hasn't, or at least they haven't trickled down to you. How do you begin to understand what your shared values are?
0: Yeah. So this is a great question. And it is true. Even a lot of larger companies that do articulate values don't really do anything to bring them to life. Like I remember one of the large companies I worked for had articulated values and you'd get a name badge when you you know joined as an employee and one side was your photo and the other side was the values. And that was like the first, last and only thing you ever heard about the values. So values only work if they are brought to life. But If you are inside a company that either doesn't have values or hasn't articulated them well, you can still create values and norms as a team, as an intact team. And you can sit down and do it the same way you would do it at a startup, which is usually values already exist. They just haven't been pointed out. So usually we start with an exercise that Jim Collins created called, I think, Mission to Mars, which is, if we could only take you know, one or two people from our team to Mars to recreate our team, who would we take? Or if we could create a person that we wanted to take, you don't have to be choosy about which person, and how would they behave? And that's the start of a values conversation
1: for any team. I love that. So you're kind of taking what the whole team collectively, intuitively understands about how they work together when they're at their very best and exactly. asking them to articulate it. Exactly. It's funny how values work. Our company is a company that actually has a stated set of values that are introduced at the beginning of your time here. And I think it's because my manager actually often references them in conversations with me. I find myself referencing them in conversations with my colleague. And then they kind of work to sort of state explicitly, hey, here are the rules
0: around here they really do and and the kinds of creative things i've seen to bring them to life you know i think at change.org we did a lot um around this little things like we made stationery, like a postcard. And on one side, it would have the value written in some beautiful font. And on the back side it was blank. And so everybody could have those whenever they wanted. And if you saw someone expressing one of the values, you'd pick the postcard and you'd write them a little note and you'd give it to them. And then they could put it up around their desk. We also did values ambassadors, where we said, let's recognize people who display the values once a quarter. We gave them an award and they're their prize, which, you know, post-pandemic, I don't know if you do this, but their prize was to visit any one of the other offices and observe how that office was bringing the values to life and then come back and tell their own team about it. So there's all kinds of things you can do, but that is a core part of creating strong culture and a strong sense of belonging.
1: So that's the first of three parts that you referenced at the start of our conversation. So let's dig into number two. Okay. Number two is... Uh, tradition. So really
0: strong communities and cultures have all kinds of traditions that people love. And you can think about this as like the secret handshake or the mascot or whatnot. But if you're working in person, things like shared common dress Fridays. Like we used to have for a month on Friday, everybody would wear stripes or everybody would wear blazers. It was kind of a ridiculous theme, but that, you know, created a tradition there. Or sales teams traditionally have a gong ringing or a bell whenever you, you know, sign a deal. Those are the kinds of traditions that bring culture and community to life. Virtually, you know, we see things like, you know, you can still have themed meetings, maybe you dress the same, but more often than not, you kind of change your background to a theme that everybody gets involved in. Or you can have... Um, unique Slack channels. Like for instance, we have a channel we call the Festival of Failure (laughs) channel, which is like, everybody can go in and just say, you know, oh, I really royally messed this up. And here's what I learned and so forth. And that can be both work mistakes and also personal. Like we had someone post in it a few weeks ago, my wife was gone. And for the first time on a business trip, and I accidentally forgot to pick my son up from preschool. (laughs) It was like, that is a festival of failure moment that brings alive, you know, culture in a a company.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I think here about a Slack channel that we have on our team called Couch Potatoes. It's really just exists to help us help those of us who like TV to find better TV, and to pick apart TV that doesn't work. And I don't even really like TV, which maybe in saying that I'm about to make half the Hello Monday listeners be very skeptical of me. But I love reading this channel just because it makes me feel like I'm part of a club.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the idea. And I will say I balance you out because I probably like TV <laughs> way too much. In <laughs> fact, my LinkedIn newsletter is all about leadership in pop culture. And if you read it, it's like it's about Abbott Elementary or sometimes it's about movies. And but I yeah, I love TV.
1: Well, Abbott Elementary is truly a good show. So I'll, yeah, I'll give so you the, that.
0: the bear is in it, too. I, I yeah. try to pick some good shows.
1: So that brings us to number three.
0: Yeah. Number three is commitment. So the the strongest cultures and the strongest communities, what we found is that there is commitment on both sides. One is to not only what you get out of the culture and the community you're a part of, but what you give. So there's a give and take of commitment to the strongest cultures. And that when you think about how that exists at work it comes back to the all one team value or just thinking about how on a day-to-day basis not only my own personal growth but how can i make sure that others around me are growing that i'm adding value to the system and so when you think about the you know the the strongest company cultures like i saw a post on linkedin the other day about a company that was created in the late 90s and has long been long gone. People would not even remember the name. Someone from that team passed away recently and the entire team came together from all over wherever they were to celebrate the life of this person now 25 years later. Yeah. That is a give and take kind of culture and community.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about the in-person versus the hybrid and what the what the limitations, what the true and perceived limitations of hybrid are. But I kind of want to start with a fairly, maybe slightly overly vulnerable and quite honest um, thing that I've noticed in in our own work. Um, in the fall of 2023 in New York, most of LinkedIn's editorial um, team were, were back in the office a, a lot of the time, a few days a week for most of us. And I noticed about myself, I was away for a few weeks and I was working out of the office. Because of our wonderful hybrid policy, I can do that with ease and be in contact with my team and get all of the work done flawlessly. Like no ball was dropped. In fact, one could argue that I got ahead on some of the thought work I needed to do. But by the end of the 3 weeks, I felt pretty disenchanted, like really like out of step. I wasn't really all that happy with my job. And I came back and I was just grumpy. And I talked to a couple of colleagues. I was like, I'm just really grumpy with this job. I don't know if I've outgrown this job. I don't know what's going on. But Jen, when I just went to work in person with my colleagues for like two weeks, um, I fell back into my rhythms and I was really happy again. And I say this because I then noticed that the same thing happened with a couple of colleagues. Yeah. And it has given me reason to think that there are some flaws with hybrid that I don't know how we overcome. And I'm wondering what you think of that. Yeah. So, first of all, thanks for sharing
0: that. I agree, that was quite open. And I'm sure people appreciate hearing the honest truth because we all have it. Um, you know, the thing about work before we all went hybrid is that we used to build connection kind of accidentally you know we were just around each other and so that stuff happened we went you know to get coffee or we had lunch or we just sat near each other and and that all happened kind of naturally and that doesn't happen when we work remotely and so the the key to success here whether you are hybrid remote or in person is being intentional And the truth is, if we look back at it, that the accidental version was never really that great to begin with. So the companies that were the most successful were also the ones that were the most intentional about it from the beginning. Like you look at Netflix as an example and their famous culture deck. They were super intentional about it, even when they were in person. And that's part of the reason why they've been so successful. I can think about when I first started at Yahoo, we were super intentional, you know, everything was branded. We we wrapped our cars in purple and yellow. It was just like so, so intentional. And so this is my belief is that the key to success is intentionality. And it is clearly possible, and the data shows it, to build as strong of a sense of connection remotely as you can in person. It just takes dedication and thought. And this is actually why we built this whole company is to just make it a little bit easier for people. But as long as we are intentional about it, it firmly can be done either location.
1: You know, as you say that, I reflect back on my experience and I was absolutely intentional about how I got the work done during that nearly the month that I was away, like didn't drop a ball, but I was not at all intentional about how I maintained my connections with my colleagues. Yeah. Didn't think about that at all before I left or while I was away. Just looked up one day and felt really out of yeah. it. And felt lonely,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, this is the problem is if we don't put that, you know, deep connection part of it back in, everybody will feel lonely. And it's especially true of people who, who have jobs that don't require a lot of natural meetings with other people. Like I've seen it even on our team where we are super intentional about it. It is definitely the case that if people don't have at least a couple meetings in a given day with other human beings, they do start to feel more withdrawn and more lonely.
1: Well, so people also work really differently, like what they need in order to feel connected is very different. How do you structure, particularly how do you structure hybrid situations in which everybody can feel seen, heard and connected? Yeah, so this is it's funny. I
0: so I you know I teach a class at the business school at Stanford, and even though the class is about all these tactical things like hiring and forming boards and things like that, the there are two key lessons I teach that are separate from that. And one is that people are just unique. Everybody is different. And the mistake we usually make as leaders or as colleagues is I think everyone's going to be just like me, you know, like I'm fine if you appreciate me by just saying thank you or dropping me a little note. And I have other people on my team who really prefer a gift, like they would like to be thanked in some more formal way. And knowing those differences is really important. And so the key to being successful at making people happy and engaged at work is first understanding them. And so as an example, this is why we built these rising team sessions where you can learn about people's Like literally all the ways they want to be appreciated or all the working style knits and preferences, like it gets down to the tiniest detail. We have a question about how, when is it okay to interrupt you? At work, and there's a spectrum of people who say, Anytime, just anytime, interrupt me. Yeah. And then some people say, Actually, could you message me first before you interrupt me? Some people say, Only if it's important. Like, I generally don't want to be interrupted, but if it's important, okay. And then other people say, Never never interrupt me. Please <laughs> Schedule always schedule time. And if that question, like I can look at thousands of people on that question and they will be fully across that spectrum. I can tell you now it varies a little bit by function. Like mm-hmm. HR people are the most likely to say anytime, yes. interrupt me. <laughs> Engineers most likely to say never interrupt me. But obviously it, that is also not universally true in those functions. So the first step is, ask. Yeah. Be curious, get to know people. Um so the stakes are real for people. Absolutely.
1: Well, so interrupting is one vector. Like what are the other things that we need to ask about?
0: A- another place where people really vary is how they prefer to receive constructive feedback. Yeah. I learned this lesson Early on, when I was a coxswain on the rowing team in high school and college, you know, my job was to coach the team from in the boat to win a race. And people are working so hard and they're already tired and they don't really want to hear any feedback. And unfortunately, in order to win, I had to give them feedback, not only in real time, but in front of everybody else because they're all in the boat together. And I would I found that they really had different preferences. So again, if you think about, um, we have a three-part spectrum here, which says, first, I just want my feedback straight on, like, just tell it like it is, be yeah. as direct as possible. The second, the middle ground here is direct and with some context. So I want to direct, and but I want to know why it matters. Yeah. And the third is with some encouragement so (laughs) tell me but also show me you believe in me so like the crew example of that was you know if someone's too slow i say pick it up your oar's too slow you know you gotta get faster for for the person number one who wants really direct feedback for the person who wants some encouragement it is you're almost there just a tiny bit faster and you're gonna get it yeah those two things if you say them to the wrong person just land really badly
1: I spent some time rowing in high school myself, and I was definitely that person on the boat who needed to believe that the team believed in me. Okay, we'll be right back. After the break, Jen goes deeper on feedback, when it's helpful and when it really backfires.
2: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
1: And we're back with Jen Dolsky. We left off talking about how we receive constructive criticism. I think the key to taking any kind of criticism is a healthy amount of self-awareness. I was curious how well Jen thinks we know ourselves.
0: Most people are generally self aware, you know, to a point. Part of the reason we do a lot of these exercises is to just ask people to take a second and think about it. Like, how I like feedback is a little bit easier because we're so used to it. But for example, we have another one about how you like to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole list of questions like, do you prefer that someone makes eye contact or doesn't? You know, do you like someone to take notes when you're talking or prefer that they stay in connection with you? And these are things most of us have never really thought about, but they do matter. And so it's sometimes also good to do a check on ourselves to think about how how do we like to work and how can we explain that to people? The other thing is we can't explain... People to be perfect to our preferences. It's not Mm -hmm. like I'm going to write down all my preferences and then I'm going to expect you to match me all the time. Um, Life is a compromise. And so it's about learning about each other and finding the middle, usually.
1: I think the process of being curious about each other softens the edges for when we get it wrong, right? It allows us to trust each other more so that when we goof up and miss, either we can communicate about it directly or we can just be like, gosh, Jen's having a bad day. I'm gonna let her off on that.
0: Yes. Companies vary on whether they want to call their team a family or not. And yeah. I I personally prefer the team sports analogy part partially because of my background. But this piece that we're talking about, Curiosity, does have a parallel to family or very close friends, where yeah, sometimes we mess it up with each other and at the same time knowing each other better does allow, as you said, for for the
1: times when we're gonna get it wrong. Twenty twenty four. We are into you know four years post pandemic, which marks the moment when we all had to learn all at once, or at least many of us, um, how to work remotely. Uh, do you think we've kind of figured some ground rules out about it at this point? I
0: don't know. I'd say honestly, I think we're still figuring it out a little bit, and part of the reason is because. Things are still just constantly changing. Companies are just really struggling. Should I tell people to come back to the office? If so, is it forced days? Is it number of days? And employees, are we're all still dealing with that. What are the requirements? Are they going to change on us at any moment? And we have... AI coming in now, which is both super exciting, but also a lot of pressure and how much is that going to change my job? And do I then need to be in person more? So I'm not sure we've nailed this yet. And my belief is that the part that you were describing before of feeling kind of lonely and disenchanted when you're remote um is going to only be intensified by AI because AI is just taking, you know, doing all these tasks. So it's possible we're going to work more and more with a bot and a machine and less and less with human beings. And so to me, it just increases the demand for intentionality around not just casual connection, but deeper understanding of each other.
1: Right. Um, The empathy, the the truly being able to read the culture around you is just going to grow to be so much more important. And I am of the firm belief that while some people are gifted at it and just preternaturally sort of able to do it, it's also a skill that everybody listening can learn to be better at. Wherever you are starting, you can move from where you are starting it's not static. I absolutely agree. And
0: the amazing thing too, is that this is a place AI will actually help us. So for instance, I have an AI scribe that I use in my meetings sometimes, and not only does it transcribe and summarize notes for me, it actually grades me on certain things like how many filler words I use. And it tells me the sentiment of the people I'm talking to. And so we can actually use AI to help us practice that empathy. The thing is, it's still at the end of the day, only practice. Like AI can help you a lot, draft your very first thing that you're going to say. But then as soon as I say something back to you that you didn't expect then you have to be able to do it on your own. Yeah. And so we can use tools, and I agree we can and should use tools to get better at it, to practice it, to coach us, and all of that will make it better when we're in the moment and we actually need to do it.
1: That was Jennifer Dulsky, CEO and founder at Rising Team. Learn more about her work at risingteam.com. Now, there are many, many things that I'm going to take from this conversation, but here are just three that will stick with me. One, values are what build community. I appreciate how Jen talks about company values. As she said herself, too often companies will list out those values without actually acting on them. Are you at a company that's in line with your own values? How can you tell? Two, how well do you know yourself? It's difficult to get to know others if we aren't aware of ourselves and our behaviors. And three, do you feel connected in your work environment? For many, the hybrid method has been an effective way to balance work and life, but others might feel more isolated. And at the end of the day, it's about striking a healthy balance that feels good for us individually and also for our team as a whole. Let's talk about this more at this week's Office Hours, I'll go live on the LinkedIn news page this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, along with our producer, Sarah Storm. If you're not sure where to find the link, drop us a line at Hello Monday at LinkedIn, and we'll help you out. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show with help from Lolia Briggs. It's engineered and mixed by Asaf Gadron. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, Michaela Greer helps us build meaningful community. Enrique Montavo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Before I let you go, I have to ask you, you we've had three or four virtual conversations. I have two things to tell you. One is your background, the first time we talked, the whole time, I was like, that living room just feels like your living room. <laughs> the second time I realized it was virtual, it took me to the second no, time. No, it's real. No way. Real. No way. It's real.
0: I, you know, it's funny. I used to have a dog that sat right there with me and would sometimes move around. And that's how people knew it was real. But I don't have anything moving in the background anymore. But yeah, it's, it's, that's my real living room.